0: Well, it sounds like we're ready to have church. Boy, am I glad to see you. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really, really excited about this brand new series. It's called the App Store. And if you're living in the modern world at all, then you will know that you have a world of technology available right here in your your phone. And right, apps are everywhere. Apps are meant to, they're meant to help you. They're meant to fix problems. They're They're meant to make your life better if you use them. Now, I have a, an iPhone, but the problem is, is, you know, I got apps on my phone, too. I got lots of apps. My kids have put, like, tons of apps on my phone. I even have the App Store app on my phone. The problem is I don't use any of them, like none of them. So I'll say to my kids, I'll say, what, what's the weather going to be like today? And instead of going to the front door, instead of opening the front door and peeking their head out, they'll go, Dad, there's a app for that. If you just use it, it's on your phone. And I'll say, well, all right, well, we, we got to get going. Uh, how, 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 how long do I have to bike in order to burn up the calories from that big fat Sunday I just ate so I don't become big and fat? And you know what their answer is? There's an app for that. And I'll say, well, how far is Traverse City? There's an app for that. Which way's north? There's an app for that. Which way the Tigers are? When are the Tigers going to start playing? They'll say, there's an app for that because there is an app. For everything, and apps are meant to do good they 're meant to help us, but you have to use them. You actually have to use them apps in short are are, are short for applications right they 're meant to be applied to our lives if they 're going to do any good and so over the next month or so we 're going to be talking about some specific applications for Christians that come from the Bible. Now I say for Christians because um, Because there's this this assumption that that if you're a Christian, you want to apply God's word. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not like a religious person here, if you're just kind of brand new to this whole thing, uh, this maybe isn't for you. But it's very good that you're here because you can turn to the person who brought you and you can say, honey, uh, I'm glad I'm here, but this is really for you. This isn't for me because it's really for you to get this kind of stuff. I don't have to do this because I'm not one of you. This is for Christians. This is for Christians because there's so much in the scripture that needs to be applied to our life. Our assumption is that that you're, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you're a church-going person, that you want to put some of this God stuff into your life. You want to put some of this Bible stuff down into your soul. And, and so I, I say this is for Christians, so I'm not expecting, listen, I'm not expecting non-Christians in the room or or Christian people to Non Christian people, non religious people, non church people to even embrace all of this or to practice any of this. We can't expect them to do all of this kind of thing because this is for Christians. So, the way I would explain it is this maybe the best way to illustrate it is this that I would never go next door to my neighbor in my neighborhood and tell my neighbor kids what to do, right? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work very well when you try to tell your neighbor kids what to do. I know I have. I've tried this before, and uh, I would never go to my neighbor's kid and say, uh, hey, uh, you need to be in bed by 930, and you need to get up on time for school, and don't forget, you're failing math, and so you got to get to third grade math, like, you know, early. you got to get there and get this thing done. I would never pretend to tell them what to do, because why? It is none of my business. I wouldn't call my, my neighbor, and I would say, Bob, let me talk to Jimmy, because uh, you know, I, I told Jimmy he had to be in bed at 9.30. I just want to make sure he's getting ready. You know, I would just never do that, right? Um, you, you're, you're, you don't give your neighbor kids rules. You know why? Because they are not your, your kids. And, and I think most of us would say, uh, we, we get this. We, 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 we would say that it would be great if the whole world acted like Jesus wanted us all to act. Most of us would say this, even those in the room who maybe aren't believers, we would say, I think it would be great if the whole world acted more Christian. I, I would think almost every single one of us, if the whole world acted more Christian, we would think it would be a better world. Would we not? Would we not? I think so. Uh, but but here's what the New Testament teaches us um, f- for those of us who are part of the church, for those of us who claim and self-identify as Christians. And if you miss everything else, and if you only take one thing away, make sure you take this away. The New Testament teaches that insiders, people who believe, people who self-identify as churchgoers, who, who say we're followers of Jesus, it, it clearly teaches us that we are not to judge outsiders, but that we are to judge people insiders, uh, because it'd be the same as me trying to tell my neighbor kid what they should and should not do. It's none of my business unless they're doing their business on my front lawn, right? Um, And and so let me just say this. So if you're an unchurched person here, uh, maybe you don't follow, maybe you're not sure if you want to believe in Jesus and follow the Bible and all that. Maybe you're just here kind of checking this whole thing out. Uh, This is why so many unchurched people feel judged by church people. Because we put expectations that we should have on ourselves on people who never claim to follow those expectations. We, we put expectations on people on the outside to act like insiders and we get it all backwards. The Bible teaches us if we are Christians that we should expect Christian behavior out of other Christians but not necessarily out of people in the, in the world, right? That would be like me coming to your workplace and, and all of a sudden saying, hey, listen, now, come on. Y'all need to be at work at 6.30 from now on. I know what you used to do, but it's 6.30 from now on. And from now on, you're going to do. And from now on, you're going to do. And from now on, you're going to do. You would look at me like you'd be going, yeah, you're crazy. You have no right to go telling me what to do in our business. You have no right telling our employees in our company what to do. Well, in the same way, for those of us who, who, who we say we're followers of Jesus, Bible people, church people, we have no right to expect people on the outside of the church to do Bible stuff, to obey Bible stuff. Are you all with me on this? Now, I understand this, and I think we should all understand this. This isn't to say that you're not accountable to God. Everybody's going to be accountable to God one day. It's just not my job to hold you accountable. Every one of us is going to stand before God one day and we're going to have to give an account of our life. It's just not my job to make sure that your account is right or to tell you how to live or how to enforce this in your life, to put expectations on you when you never claim to want to embrace these expectations or to follow these expectations. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, this whole series for you is like a free pass. It's like a free pass. Now, again, you're accountable to God, but you're just not accountable to us. But listen, I I think if you listen to some of this stuff with an open heart, if you're outside of the church, if you're not sure you want to follow Jesus, but if you listen to some of this stuff, you may find yourself wanting to live up to some of this stuff. You may find yourself going, that would be good for my life. That would be good for who I want to be. I want to become more like that. But, but for you, though, if you're outside of the church, this is like a free pass. This is like free info. You can pick and choose the applications you want to choose for yourself. Um, our hope is, I'm not going to hide it, our hope is, is that you will eventually fall in love with Jesus. My hope is, is that you will embrace God's word for you that you would become a child of God, that you would willfully on your own volition decide to follow Christ because you know it's the truth for your life. That's our hope. Um, But if it's not that, we're just glad you're here, but you can pick and choose. But if you are a Christian in this room, we need to talk. We've got to talk. We've got to get some things straight. Y'all hear me on this? If you self-identify as a Christian, if you say, well, I follow, I'm a church person, I'm a religious person, I'm a Jesus person, I even love Jesus, I even love God, I want to follow God with my life. Th- th- that your Christian faith, if you self-identify that your Christian faith matters to you, then we need to get some st- stuff straight. We need to start applying some stuff from the scriptures to our everyday Life, Are you with me on this? We've got to start acting like insiders before we could ever influence outsiders, right? Um, This is what makes a difference. This is what makes it real. Applying application, taking an app and making it real in your life, opening it up, downloading it and using it is when it works. Applying it makes all the difference in the world. Believing is a good first step. But you can believe all you want until you're, uh, 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 but until you start doing it, there's no real difference in your life. Am I right? You can believe something up here, but until it starts acting its way out into your feet and into your hands and into your little toes and into your mouth and into your eyes, it makes very little difference what you say you believe. It matters what you do with what you believe, right? In fact, you can't really know. If you actually believe something until you act on that thing, come on, is it true? You, you can't say you actually believe something until you actually respond to that very thing that you said you believed. And and so here's where we're going to go with all this. Um, There is a book in the Bible called the book of James. Anybody ever hear of it? The book of James. I would love to take you into the book of James. So if you have a smartphone or a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, um, find the book of James. I think it would serve you incredibly well. If you, every single time you come into this place, would you bring a mechanism, whether a device or an old-fashioned, old-school paper, leather-bound type of Bible, whatever way you like to look at it, Find your own way into the Scriptures. I think it would serve you incredibly well if you got used to listening and reading it for yourself, all right? So we're going to go to the book of James. Um, And I want you to understand something. James was the brother of Jesus. Now, James was the brother of Jesus. And I want you to imagine being the brother of Jesus. How fun would that be to be the brother of Jesus? That would be a trip, would it not? Um, But let me ask you this. Uh, Jesus, or excuse me, James... Think about how weird this is. James became a believer. James, the brother of Jesus, became a believer that Jesus was the son of the living God. Pause for a second. Anybody in a room with a brother? Anybody in a room with a brother? What would it take, I've asked this before, what would it take for your brother to do to convince you that he was the son of the living God? Uh, The answer, Nothing. There's nothing your brother could do to convince you of that, right? But what is so amazing, and this is one of the reasons why I think the Bible is absolutely true, is because the younger brother of Jesus ends up believing that Jesus was who he said he was. And more than that, people go, oh, yeah, he was just trying to ride on the coattails of Jesus. He was trying to make some buck off of Jesus. No, 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 no. James died for his belief that his brother was the son of the living God. And that's a, something to give you pause and to think about. And James, listen, James says there's a lot of significance to this idea that application is everything. Making it real in your life really matters. And so we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, verse 22. We're going to look at a few verses uh, about how Application is everything, that it really does make all the difference. And then we're going to share a few verses, and then we're going to get out of here, okay? Um, So James chapter 1, verse 22, here's where it starts. You ready? It says, do not merely, do not merely as in only, listen, do not only listen to the word, and the word is? The word of God, what what Christ would be saying to you, what the Bible would be teaching you, scripture, right? So it says, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Pause for a second. Now, this is absolutely remarkable. This was written a couple thousand years ago. And yet it's as as relevant as anything else is in the world today. It is completely relevant to us. Um, This is, again, one of the reasons why I think this is so inspired. When you hear this, you're going to say, absolutely. This is true. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. He says that there is a problem. He says that there is a big problem. The problem is that church people, that's people like some of us in this room, we love to listen. He says there's a problem. We love to listen. We love to listen to messages. We love to listen to sermons. We love to listen to podcasts. We love to do like Bible studies. And we love to listen, listen, listen. But the problem is in just listening, we run the risk of deceiving ourselves. We run the risk of deceiving that our faith is real. Thinking, because we're listening, that our faith is somehow real. Hear me on friends, hear me on this, friends. He, he says, by listening, you can self-deceive. By listening, you can deceive yourself into thinking that, that your faith is vibrant and alive simply because you are listening. And he begins to tell us what we see happen every weekend <clears throat> in churches around the world Right here in 2016, including our church. And ha- in fact, it's probably happening in this very moment today in our little church. Because in our church culture, as, as in the case of 2,000 years ago, there was this sense that people um, thought, if I'm in the building, I should get some credit. Come on. This is true. There, there's this sense of thinking out there <clears throat> that says, if I'm in the building, God owes me a little something. God has to give me some sort of question or credit because if I 'm in the church building, uh, God should look down and go, "Oh, whoa, very impressive. Wow, way better than where you were last week, right? Way better than last Friday night. And, and so we start to think we, we, we start to think that God should somehow be looking at us and going, "Would somebody make a note of that right now?" Because that guy is going to get some extra credit later in the week right there because he is in the house, right? And and we start to think that somehow God owes us some credit. We start to think that just by listening um, that we're building this credit up with God. Um, We go, God, well, listen, if you knew me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have even stayed awake. But now I go to that church thing and like I'm awake 90% of the time. And that's a big deal. And matter of fact, we go, God, I'm not awake 90% of the time, but 70% of the time that I'm awake, 70% of that 90%, I'm actually paying attention. And you know what? I used to go, how many lights do they got? I wonder how those things move. Where does that fog all come from? And some of us are thinking, well, if you heard that guy preach, like I hear that guy, Jeremy, preach, (laughs) you wouldn't be paying attention either. I'm telling you right now. And so I deserve some credit just for being in the building. And we think we're more spiritual. We think we're more religious. We think we're more right with God just because we listened. And James puts his hands up and says, you're gonna deceive yourselves. You're gonna fool yourself. And there's a whole other thing that goes on. And this happens in our churches, this happens in churches all over. Um, if you go to a good church, And the preaching's halfway decent. Here's what happened. Tell me if this is true or not. Um, Sometimes you feel bad about yourself. Come on. Is it it true? Sometimes you're in church, and you hear something, and something starts rattling in your soul, and you start to get a little convicted, and you start to feel like bad about yourself, like you think you could be doing something a little bit different. And here's what happens to us, friends. The problem is, is that We start going, well, I'm a failure, I feel guilty, I feel failure, I feel guilty. And the problem is that we think feeling bad is like a religious experience. We go, well, I went to church and I left feeling like a complete loser as a husband. Ah, I had a religious experience right or i went to church and i left thinking i'm a terrible terrible mom i felt guilty and so we go ah i had a religious experience or we go i'm not a very good follower of jesus i feel guilty so we have this we think of it as a a, like a religious experience as long as we feel bad about ourselves we think that somehow we have connected with god we've heard something and the most religious we feel the most spiritual that most of us feel is when we feel bad about what we just heard. And so we think thinking, double check, double check, extra credit. We not only listened, but we felt bad about it. And then we go on with our life. And James, the brother of Jesus says, stop deceiving yourself. You, you think there's value in, in something in which there is absolutely no value at all or very, very little value. Now, I'll tell you who really understands this, who, who gets this idea of of just listening to something is of of very little value. It's unchurched people. Unchurched people get this. They they intuitively understand this. Um, And and if you're an unchurched person in the room, you're saying amen to that right now, but you don't say amen because you're not a church person. So you're just going to go, yeah, he's right about that, right? Because you see right through us, right? You you see right through us. and, And here's why, because you don't go to church and you're actually thinking to yourself, well, I'm as good as any church person that I know. I'm as moral as any church person that I know. As a matter of fact, if I had to put like some sort of scale out there, I'm probably doing a little bit better than most church people that I know. And yet they sit and listen all the way through. You and I, we look down at those folks because they don't come and listen. But they're looking at us and going, what are you listening to? Is it doing anything in your life at all? They know, listen, they know you don't respond to what is taught in these kinds of places. They know that whole bunches of us, me and you, our family, your family, we come around and we hear God's word and we applaud and go, oh, that is so good, that is so good. And we go home. And it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't move a thing. It doesn't take us anywhere. It doesn't shape anything in our soul. It doesn't help us to parent different or love different or be a husband differently or a wife differently or a single person different. It doesn't change our sexuality or our our morality or our ethics or our greed or or the way we give. It does very little to move us. And non-church people, they see this and they think, would you guys stop parading around like you're better than us? Just because you dragged yourself and listened to some boring sermon for an hour. You think you're better than us. And they get this. And James, the brother of Jesus, he says, knock it off. Christians, he says, don't deceive yourselves. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Pretty uplifting stuff right there. Are you ready for more? You want to hear more? Because James goes on and says some more stuff. So he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Then he says this little crazy line. Do what it says. Pause. Do what it says. It's not very complicated. Do not merely listen, but do what it says. But a whole bunch of us go, but I can't do that. That would change everything. That would mess everything up. It's like, it's like uh, I, I want credit for just hearing about it and feeling bad about it. Because if I actually start to do it, I will no longer feel bad. Thus, I won't feel spiritual and I won't feel religious anymore. And James goes, what are you talking about? You're not close to God because you feel guilty. You're not close to God because you're sitting in a church. You're closest to God when you do what he says. When you respond to him, when your heart moves toward him, when your life moves toward him, when your attitude moves toward him, when your mouth, listen to me, moves toward him, when your soul reaches toward him, that is when you are most like him. And you're closest to him. We go, well, if I start, you know, obeying the Bible, I'll have a clear conscience and God won't even like pay attention to me anymore because the only time he seems to pay attention to me is when he's whacking me around and making me feel guilty about everything, right? James says, stop playing Those kinds of faith games. He says, do what God says. It's quite simple. And we're going to discover throughout this entire series that what makes all the difference in the world, what makes everything become reality in our relationship with God, is that application makes the difference. Listen, an application proves something. It proves that your faith is real. Do you hear me, friends? Is anybody listening at all? application it changes it and then James says this and he's so brilliant he gives us this illustration about how to judge this in our own lives he he looks at me and he looks at you and he goes I'm going to tell you what to do about this He, he, he says something absolutely brilliant and he gives the most amazing illustration he says those who listen you know who sit in little rows who take notes who listen who applaud at the right times who say amen he says those who listen he's not talking about unchurched people he's talking about church folk people like most of us in this room He he says, those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a what? A mirror, which is something every single person here does every single morning, every time we get up. Some of us look at the mirror like 10, 12, 20 times a day, right? And so this is something that we already do. We already understand this. And James is tapping into something that is a regular part of our life. And he's saying, now, this is what it's like spiritually. This is what it's like spiritually. He says, those who listen to the word, but do not do what it says, are like people who look their their face in a mirror. And, and after looking at themselves, they go away and immediately forget what they look like. And this is an extraordinary thing right here. you got to understand what was going on in this day. Uh, James was tapping into something different. You see, you and I, we have like mirrors that are like perfect. You can see every detail. You can see every flaw. They're like, we got lights around our mirrors. And they're like, oh, you know, right? I mean, sometimes you go, oh, gosh, <laughs> right? you look in at yourself in the mirror. Right? You get that? But that wasn't the case in this day. James was talking about this unique opportunity that people might have once in a while. Because there were no mirrors. You had to be rich or wealthy enough to, to have like a piece of metal that was so polished that maybe you could get a glimmer of reflection. Or a piece of marble that was so polished you might get a reflection. More than likely for most people, the only time they ever saw their own reflection was when they were doing their morning bath. They would have like a bucket and they would take that bucket and try to line it up just perfect with the sun. And then they would peer over the edge of the bucket hoping to catch their reflection. And James was saying, you know that moment when you looked at your reflection in the mirror? You didn't forget it, did you? He said, that was a very unique opportunity for you. That was very special for you. Don't miss this. He says, when you saw yourself, you didn't just walk away and go, oh, what did I look like? No, it was a big deal. And James is saying this, a person that comes and sits in rows and listens to to what he needs to do or where he needs to go in life and goes, oh, wow, yeah. Oh, wow, I really need to start doing that. Oh, wow, I need to stop doing that. Oh, wow. And and then walks out the door and does nothing about It's like the person who goes to the bathroom, looks in the mirror, and then goes, oh, wow, I should probably do something about that. But then you get dressed and you go to work anyways without doing something about this. He says, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? Now, once you're past 13, you don't do this anymore, right? My kids look in the mirror, they don't care. They just, whoop, right out the door, right? But once you're past 13, that, that goes away. I want you to think about this. Anybody in the room over 30? Anybody in the room? I want you to think about something. How much money do you spend just to look good? Come on, if we were honest, a whole bunch. You look at your countertop, you go on a trip, your your bag is packed with stuff just for that oh, wow, morning uh, moment when you get up in the morning, right? That's unbelievable. Like, oh, wow, I got to do something about this. Most of us look at the mirror and we go, before like work, we go, I got to work on this before I actually go to work. Am I right? It's amazing. You get up in the morning and you go to work on your face. And James says, James says, this is so unfortunate about what's happening because a whole bunch of people sitting in these chairs in rows they will look at the mirror and go oh wow and they will go to work on their physical appearance but they will look at the mirror of the soul god's word and they'll go oh wow but do nothing about that and he says somewhere he goes somewhere our values are simply wrong we spend now let's be honest Most every single person in this room spends exorbitantly more time on what we see on the outside than what we know is on the inside. And James says, how foolish. How foolish of people who claim the name of Jesus. When God's word is held up in front of our hearts, and we go, oh, wow, I need to work on that. Oh, wow, I need to quit doing that. Oh, wow, I need to be more disciplined in that area. Oh, wow, I need to be a little kinder. Oh, wow, I should quit saying that to my mom. Oh, wow, I need to work harder in this area. Oh, wow, I need to take better advantage of this. Oh, wow, I better do something to to change this relationship or even cut off this relationship. Oh, wow, I need to get rid of this in my life. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. But when we do nothing about it, all we do is go, oh, wow, I know what's going on in my soul. When he says, for those people who self-identify as Christians, as followers of the word, and we know what's rattling in our soul, and we don't do anything about it, he says, how unfortunate is this? You are self-deceived. And James says, do you know what your problem is? James says this. James says, do you know what your problem is? Uh, and he's talking to you and me. He says, now, now, again, this is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, apply as much of this to your life as you want. Um, we can't tell you what to apply, what you can't apply. But for those of us in this room that are Christian, he's saying, look, you are more committed to things in your life, the external, that make very little difference in your life than you are committed to the internal things that could change your world that could change everything, that could make a real difference in your life. He's saying, whether, whether you get every hair in place, because there's some of us, we, gotta, we don't walk out of the house unless everything is in place. He says, whether you get every hair in place or your makeup is perfect, it has nothing to do with the direction and the quality and the future of your life. But we get all wrapped up in that and go, oh yeah, it does, Jay. I can't walk out of the house unless I get this right. He says, oh, you can get all that right. And that's fine. But you better get what's in here Right? It's not necessarily an either or, but he says there's a priority. There's something that has to come first. But the rest of us, um, but he he talks about this idea that you can look at the outside and you go, I got to fix all this up. But he says it has very little to do with the quality of your life or the direction of your eternity. But the rest of what Scripture teaches about your money, about your morality, about your relationships, about your marriage, the way you treat your kids, the way you honor your parents, how you handle yourself at work, about the integrity you carry yourself with, all those things determine the direction and quality of your entire life. He says, maybe you want to think a little bit more about that. Amen? He's going, you got it all wrong. You've totally self-deceived. In fact, this is what I bet. I bet this. Now listen very carefully. I bet the moment you made one of the worst decisions in your life, your hair looked awesome. Come on. It's true. It's true. Uh, I bet some of the worst moments of your life, your hair, your makeup, your outfit, your body, come on. It was probably at its very best. You, you look perfect, and that became part of the problem. That became part of the problem, didn't it, friends? You never looked better, but you never behaved worse. You think about that. You never looked better, but you never behaved worse. And James says there's a big problem for those of us who say we're a believer that we're a follower. He says, what kind of fool looks in the mirror of his soul and says, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, but does nothing to change it, nothing to fix it, nothing to bring into alignment for what God wants in your life and and what you ultimately want in your life. He he says, what fool doesn't try to align those things? He he says, "You, you and I would do a whole lot better if we looked at the mirror of our soul and we actually did something in response to what we see. And let's be honest here, friends. There are some folks in this room who who self-identify as a Christian. But it's been the same thing for 15 or 20 years in your life. It's been the same junk. It's been the same attitudes. It's been the same roadblock spiritually. It's been the same roadblock relationally. It hasn't gone anywhere. And yet we say we follow Yet we say we believe. And James is saying, come on. It shouldn't work that way. Y'all hear me? It shouldn't work that way. Um, then he comes to my favorite part of the verse. Check this out. This next passage, verse 25. He, this is so brilliant. He says, but those who look intently, he says, but those who look intently, and some of you take forever in front of the mirror. It's true. It's like you take forever. My 17-year-old, he will not leave the house until it is perfect, right? Right, he takes forever. Uh, and I, he's like, I'm not gonna leave until this is all getting together, you know what I mean? Uh, and and then he, But he says, there are people who try to get it all right on the outside, but he says there's a different type of people. He says, there's a person that will look intently intently at what's really important because this is what it says into the perfect law that gives what come on freedom and they continue in it not forgetting what they've heard but doing it but doing it and the problem with so many people even us church people is that we think of of god's law god's word god's leadership as a bunch of negatives to be obeyed i know i struggled with this for a long time we think of God's leadership in our life as a bunch of negatives. We don't think of freedom. We think of narrow. We think of restrictive. We think of not having any fun. We think that Christianity is the very opposite of freedom, don't we, friends? We, we think it's the exact opposite of, of what would be good for our lives so many times. We think of becoming a Christian and following Jesus as like somebody putting shackles on us and forcing us into a lifestyle uh, that somehow would seem dreadful to us. And, and we go, how in the world would James ever say there's a person who looks... Intently into the Word of God, and that Word brings freedom. He goes, well, there's no whole bunch of us go, well, there's no freedom in that. That's slavery. That's that's bondage. But here's why I love this passage. Listen, friends. Here's why I love this passage. When I was a kid, uh, young kid, uh, my mom and dad started introducing God's Word to our home. They started to teach us about the Bible and about God and what it meant to have a relationship with him. And and they did it in a very, very practical way. Um, It wasn't somewhere esoteric out there. They made God's word as practical as possible. As a matter of fact, um, we were taught from the time we were real little about this thing called money, right? And and I'll just tell you what was taught in our home. Uh, My home, my daddy said, listen, you get a dollar, you get a dollar, 10%, you give that away first. You go help humanity. You go serve the kingdom of God. That belongs to God and his work. The next 10, you save. The 80, you can do whatever you want with. Now listen, when I only had a dollar, that was easy. You all hear me on this? When I had a dollar, that was easy. But as I got older, now I had hundreds and, and even thousands of dollars. And it became increasingly difficult to give hundreds away first and then to save hundreds And then to live on what was left. It became increasingly difficult to do that. And let me tell you something. As you grow up and as you become a young adult, you begin to think, well, this is not freedom. You go, this is slavery. This is is crazy kind of a talk, right? But let me tell you something. Honestly, it may have felt like slavery early on. But let me tell you something. It may have not have felt like freedom. But let me tell you something, friends. It resulted in freedom. You hear me? It resulted in freedom. And I can tell you um, that, I am a, uh, 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 that I have a whole lot of financial freedom now because of the very things that I felt were chains early on in my life. You get this? This is big. That's some of the very things that I thought were holding me back. In fact, I know a whole bunch of people, um, a whole bunch of people who are in debt and they're over their head with the, in debt. They have no margin, no freedom in their life. Uh, and, and they feel like they are totally enslaved. But they'll tell me, I do what I want with my money. How has that worked out for you? Really? Do you feel more freedom because of this or less freedom because of this? James says, those who look intently into the perfect law of freedom, and when they do it, they apply it. When they hear it, they apply it. They find freedom. They are blessed. Because of this. When I was a kid, it was explained to me that God had certain things to say about my morality. About sexuality and sex and all that kind of stuff. And and, and frankly, I I was taught very, very straightforward that the scripture teaches that sex is between a man and a woman. in this thing called marriage. And let me tell you something. When you're a 16, 17-year-old boy, that doesn't sound like freedom. Come on. Y'all hear me? As a matter of fact, I'll tell you honestly, when, when you're 16, 17 years old, you think that's slavery. You think that's crazy talk. You're thinking when you're 17, like, I'm never going to get married. When's this going to happen? Right? And when you're 17, you're thinking, oh, those old married people don't do it anyway, so what's the big deal? Right? I'm just saying you laugh because that's what you think. Every boy, 17-year-old boy thought, I can't wait that long. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? But listen, here's what happened in my life. I'd go away to these church camps. I'd I'd, I'd have people, Christian people in my church, who would begin to pour into me. And I would hear these messages about about what God thought of sexuality, about how God wants us to guard our intimacy because he has a greater purpose for sex than, than what most people in this world will ever come to understand. And somewhere along the way, maybe I was foolish, I don't know, but somewhere along the way, I began to believe what God said. Somewhere along the way, I began to put the principles of Scripture down into my life. And I embraced them. And I said, God, it doesn't make any sense. God, it doesn't feel like like freedom now. It feels more like bondage now. But I can tell you something now I've been married for 20 something years. Don't quote me on how many. And I have a level of sexual freedom that most people won't have. Matter of fact, I look back and I'm going to tell you something. I have literally had hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of counseling appointments by now, where the central issue, the central issue is that their life is screwed up because of unbridled sexuality. And I think to myself, who's more free? Who's more free? Let me tell you something, it doesn't, you know, anybody, listen, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be an idiot not to recognize that unbridled sexuality has ruined a generation of kids. Listen, you hear me? Unbridled sexuality has ruined a generation of young adults. Unbridled sexuality has ruined a generation of older adults and every single person in between who has thought that I can do what I want with my body anytime I want with whoever I want. And it has ruined people. It's not freedom. It's not freedom. You look at it, it's a mess. Am I right? And James says, stop deceiving yourself. Do what it says and apply it to your life and you will be blessed. Application matters. Application changes everything. And you know what else I was taught? I was taught growing up that, um, that, that when somebody hurt you, when somebody offended you and did wrong against you, that eventually you needed to figure out a way to forgive them. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. When, when, in, in those moments where you have to forgive somebody else, that does not sound like freedom, does it? It sounds like you're wanting me to let them get away with it. You're wanting them to hurt me. You're wanting them uh, to feel okay about hurting me. If I forgive them, they're going to get away scot-free. But let me tell you something. What I've learned is that the scripture is correct. When I apply scripture, holding freedom to my own self or holding forgiveness to myself is actually bondage to me. Bitterness grows inside the heart that does not forgive. It's true, isn't it? Anybody in this room ever have trouble forgiving somebody? Come on. Bitterness grows inside of you like a weed, and it sucks the life right out of you. And friends, it leads to other things that destroy who you want to become in this world. And what I've learned is that application matters. Doing what God says, not just listening, but doing what it says. There's no freedom in holding on to uh, bitterness. There is no freedom holding on to anger or resentment or jealousy or greed or selfishness or anything else, is there? There's none. But James goes on to say this. Listen, verse uh, 25, it says... Again, but those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, it says they keep looking at it. And this gets a little confusing. It says they keep looking at it, not forgetting what they heard. In other words, I'm going to look at this thing even though I feel guilty, even though I feel convicted about it. I'm going to look at this thing, look at this thing until I figure out what to do to put it into practice in my life. That's what he's saying. I'm going to take my eyes off the, the mirror of the outside. I'm going to put it on the mirror of the soul. And then look what the promise is for those who do this, who respond to it and apply it to their life. It says, but by doing it, by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Amen? It says, bottom line. James says application matters. Matter of fact, he says application is everything. You won't even know what you believe until you actually apply it in your life, until you test it out in your life. And he says it does very little good coming to a place like this, coming to a place like this, and here and here and here, and oh, that was a good one, Pastor Jay. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. And then going home like it was nothing. Jesus himself one time said it like this. He said, blessed is the man or woman who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who does what I say. Application changes everything. We want to know why our homes are a mess. Application changes everything. Want to know why our marriages are so so much of us struggle, application changes everything. Want to know why our finances are broken, why our health is broken, why our relationships with our children, with our coworkers, they're broken. Application is everything. And it's my hope, and it's my prayer, that over the next several weeks together, um, you will choose to apply god's word to your own soul that you will make it a regular habit and again if you're not a believer my hope is i'll be honest with you i hope that you come back and say i'm kind of interested in this whole thing my hope is that if you're not a a church person if you're not like a believer that you'll be so interested in this that you'll go i admit there's some struggles in my own life and maybe i could hear god's recommendations my hope is is that you'll start applying them my hope is that eventually you apply them so much that you come to believe but for those of us in this room who self-identify as followers of Jesus, can I be so bold as to say there is not an option? There is not an option. Blessed are the ones who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. My hope is, is that we'll hold a mirror up to our soul over the next several weeks as we look at different topics and that we'll see something, and that we will be careful to align our heart, our soul, our actions, our lives, our words, our reactions to what we saw in the mirror. That we will that we will look, look at it, and we will hear what God wants, and that we'll move toward what God wants unequivocally. Speak, O oh God for your child is going to listen. You with me? Can I lead us in prayer? Let's just bow our heads. Father, we are um, so grateful uh, for your word. And God, we're grateful for Your Spirit that keeps calling out to us, and keeps leading us and directing us and calling us to more. Um, God, we don't want to be a people um, who just listen. We we don't want to be that kind of people. God, would You do something extraordinary in us over the next several weeks? God, would You align what is what is wrong in our soul to what we say we believe? God, would you help us to move towards you in every area of our life? God, for those uh, in this room who maybe are just checking this whole thing out and they're just considering this life of faith, um, they got kind of an inside scoop and I pray it doesn't scare them off. I pray that they would see that this has to be real and genuine. And God, that you know what is best for our lives and that you expect so much more out of us and from us. For those of us who are your children, who claim to be your children, I pray that we would say, speak, oh God. For your child is listening. That we will respond to your leadership in our life. Speak to us, God. Speak. In Jesus' strong name, together we say, Amen. amen.